0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be and whatever time of day it is where you're joining us here on the Hope Rising Ministries podcast. My name is Alex and with me today I have a very special guest, my good friend Chad Logan. How's it going, Chad?
1: Hey, it's going good. So excited to be here, Alex.
0: Yeah, man. Looking forward to you know diving into the conversation today and just unpacking everything that that God's laid on laid on your heart and laid on my heart for us to talk about. But really excited for this episode. And in case it's your first time joining us, this is episode eighty three of the Hope Rising Ministries podcast. It's hard to believe it's been that long, and we've been rolling wow, for for you know for eighty three episodes. <laughs> um, it's exciting, though. I'm I'm looking forward to what God has in store for this one. But and, and if it's your first time joining us and you haven't had a chance to, you know, really uh, to look into Hope Rising Ministries or know a lot about what we do, you can always reach out to us. Uh, by email at info at hoperisingministries.cc, or if you're on Facebook, you can connect with us at Hope rising Ministries SC. Send us a message, leave us a comment. We'd love to connect with you, get in touch with you, answer any questions that you might have about why we do what we do as a ministry, or if there's a way that we can pray for you or encourage you in some some manner, please let us know. We'd love to do that for for you as well. And we always love to hear from people who are listening in. So let us know where you're listening from as well. Um, and, you know, how this episode or some other episode maybe has encouraged you or impacted you in some way. We always love the feedback, whether it's uh, positive, negative, or if it's, you know, in order to make ourselves better, we we love that and we appreciate that. So feel free to reach out any time. But, jumping into today's topic in this episode and what we want to kind of unpack and, and what we want to do is really highlight what, what God has called Chad to do, uh, through a ministry called the Hope Project that he stewards and leads, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. And so we're excited to really unpack that and how God led, uh, led you to that, Chad. And so we're, we're really excited for, you who are listening to be able to hear the story and hear how God is using this ministry and uh to impact others who really and truly need someone there to come alongside them and support them and and, and walk shoulder to shoulder with them through some difficult Um, times in their lives and some of the struggles that they're facing. So really thankful that we get to, as a ministry, be partnered with the Hope Project and everything you guys are doing. And so can't wait to really have this chance for you to be able to share that story. Uh, So let's just dive right in, Chad, and I'm just going to kind of pass it over to you. I'm going to sit back and enjoy it and listen. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'll jump in here and there, but, you know, kind of give us a little background about yourself, um, you know, testimony, things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for, for having me, Alex. Um, man, I just, I just want to publicly honor you. Uh, um, you're such a good man. You're one of the real ones and you've been such a great friend to me and my family and just super thankful for you. And if you're listening today, um, this guy's the real deal. So you need to be listening to this podcast for, for sure. Um, thank so just, you. a yeah, man, I mean, every word of it. So, um, a little bit about me. Um, I uh, really, the odds were stacked against me at a young age. When I was born, um, my dad went to prison four months after I was born. We lived on government welfare because, you know, my mom couldn't support us on her own. And my dad was in prison until I was about four years old. And, um, you know, even when you, even when you come out of the womb, I think God has designed you to need a father figure or a father in your life. And so in those formative years, I didn't have a father around. Um, So by the time my dad got out of prison, um, I was four. But when you're four, you already should have had that time with that father figure to feel close to them. So I didn't feel close to him, but I knew I wanted a father figure. So um, I was it was always this like give and take. I was kind of fighting. Uh, for my dad's attention, and attention that he was not able to give. Um, He was really kind of emotionally unavailable as a father. And again, it was a generational curse. Um, His father was the same way, and his father was the same way. And so um, also, my dad uh, had a serious drinking problem. And uh, this is another generational curse that's been passed down from generation to generation. And by the grace of God, that generational curse stops with me. Um, But uh, so my mom uh, was a devout Christian, still is. And um, she did her best to stick it through with my father, even though he was emotionally unavailable. Um, He was a workaholic and an alcoholic. And uh, so finally, when I was about seven or eight, they decided to to part ways. And so um, after they got a divorce, I um, remember thinking, like, I just got my dad back and now he's gone again. And so um, just totally fighting for his attention. And I remember being let down time after time. You would say he was going to pick me up after work and, you know, it'd be three, four o'clock, five o'clock. I can, didn't have cell phones back then. So finally I said, well, he must be home at this point. I'd call him and he said he forgot to pick me up and I'm, that just made me feel like such a, a little piece of, you know, garbage. And, um, so I really felt like I had a father that didn't want anything to do with me. And then my mom got married to my stepdad and he was emotionally and physically abusive to me and my sister. And so, um, now I feel like I've got another father figure that, you know, I'm just a package deal with the woman that he married, and so my mom uh, drugged me as a child. She drugged me to church every Sunday morning, and uh, (laughs) I say that because I grew up in a in a church um, that was very traditional in a way of. you know, it was Methodist. So if that tells you anything, I'm nothing against the Methodist. Right, that,
0: but... <laughs> that, was, that was me, man. That's, that's what I grew up in, Methodist church. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dude. Like from as far back as I can remember till, um, I honestly, I mean, I, we were always in a Methodist church, uh, through my time yeah. in high school. I, I really got plugged in when I was, um, Started in high school, going uh, my friends. I had a, a group of friends that were at a Baptist church in yeah. in the same town, and so yeah. I would go with them because the church I grew up in, as a Methodist church, was very small, didn't have much youth right. uh, within it. So I always went on like youth trips and things like that with their church, yeah. and so you know, really kind of started to expand, I guess, a little bit, you know, from there. But yeah, as far as like growing up in the Methodist (laughs) church and that type of style and culture and, you know, it's not very exciting. Let's be honest, the Methodist church is not known for, you know, uh, being high emotion. So I I totally understand.
1: (laughs) And so, you know, that's that's where I. um learned about what church was or actually what church wasn't um i remember thinking it was a place that we went to for people to show everybody how good they were doing and um you know how much they give and how much they serve and and all that it was all about fronts and really i believe that more than ever when my stepfather started uh physically abusing me and my sister But on Sunday morning, he dressed up in a suit and tie and he went and he was the deacon at our church. And I got to thinking, if this is what church people are like, I don't want anything to do with this. You know, and I don't remember the gospel being really talked about at this church. But um, speaking of Baptists, I remember somehow this Baptist revival made it in the doors of our church for a week at one point. And I remember 12 years old hearing the gospel, tears, tears just streaming down my face i knew at that point that that jesus was real and he really did love me and uh but when that baptist revival left um so did the holy spirit which at least that's how i felt. and um so uh but i started going to the youth group and there was a guy that took uh one of the leaders that took a, a real interest in me and um he ended up uh you know he knew that i didn't have a father figure in my life so i was figuring like well he's gonna you know kind of be a father figure and he ended up sexually molesting me and um so you know just to kind of recap where we're at i've got a father that doesn't want anything to do with me i've got a stepfather who is physically and emotionally abusing me and now i've got this father figure in my youth group a church person um that is hurting me it's molesting me and so know at a young age i remember thinking you know if they call god a father i don't want anything to do with him because every man in my life has ever been has has been horrible to me and so um that was about the time when i was 12 um when i received jesus that was also about the time that i started drinking and, and smoking pot it's crazy how that works you know it was like god tried to get a hold of me and at that point in my life like all of a sudden drugs and alcohol come in my life. It's like the spiritual battle just started immediately.
0: Right. You know, right. And yeah. no, that's that's so true. And I mean, you can you can really see it there in the way that you know you illustrated that. And in there was the sort of revival opportunity that came into the church that that was right there where God was, you know, trying to connect with you, trying to, you know, kind of open your eyes to see. And there was something in that, right? But then because of everything else, the circumstances and the situation you were in, it's, it, yeah. then the enemy started pulling you towards other things uh, in yes. your life to try and find what you can only find in Jesus.
1: So yes. it's so true. That's, that's such a great point you bring up, too, because looking back, I think that that day that I received Jesus – you know, when you get filled by the Holy Spirit and you're overflowing and you're, you know, you're feeling all the emotions and it's not about a feeling. But sometimes, you know, that's that's great to have. Um, right. but I remember feeling that feeling and not being able to recreate that anymore because there was no I did not sense the Holy Spirit at this church. And so when I tried drugs and alcohol, um, you know, I felt like, wow, I've arrived, right? Like, this is awesome. I feel that feeling that I felt again, um, like, because basically what I had was a God-sized hole and God filled it at one point in my life. And then when that hole got empty again, I filled it with drugs and alcohol, but it was a false feeling oh, of yeah. fullness, you know? Um, you know, it
0: was it was like a, it was a counterfeit to what God was offering you, you know, and and sometimes like how easy it is to fall for a counterfeit. I mean, just think about counterfeit money or counterfeit paintings, right. That are kind of tried to be pawned off as the real thing, but come to find out, Oh, it's just a fake. Um, and that's, you know, that's what the enemy does to us. Yeah.
1: And so for the next, uh, 15 years from the time I was 12 to 27, I tried to fix a spiritual problem with a chemical uh, problem with a chemical solution. Right. I tried to fix the spiritual problem with a chemical solution. And so that took me to uh, when I was 21, I was a full blown IV heroin and cocaine user and um, spent time in and out of jail and. By the time I was 27, I was broke. Um, The only really person I had in my life was my dad at this point. Um, You know, we kind of rekindled after I really got into my addiction. We we had a little bit more in common. And so um, I found myself in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, Really, I came to Charleston to get away from the heroin in Phoenix. Um, but struggled with crack cocaine and coke and and um, alcohol for the next several years but i found myself sleeping on my dad's couch um you know in, in between jobs job to dot job um, and um, just totally hopeless and broken and i remember thinking i need to go to uh, a detox and so i had been to a detox several times And I could pass a lie detector test when I left this detox saying I'll never use again. And on my way home, I'd have a 12 pack of Milwaukee's best ice and a crack rock, man. It's like, and so I realized there's actually something wrong with me. I don't have a quitting problem. I have a staying quit problem. And that's when I started to realize that there may be something spiritual going on inside me. And so this time I asked for help and I said, I think I need more than just a detox. And I went to a place, uh, yeah, in Florence, South Carolina, where they started teaching me about these, these 12 steps of recovery. And um, at this point, I could feel God saying, hey, I want this relationship with you. If you're done with this come get something better. And uh, these steps are amazing. And, and um, they're all so they use them in a secular way. But I started realizing as I went through all 12 that they were actually all biblical concepts. And so in step one, it just says, admit you have a problem. You diagnose your problem, that you're powerless, that your life is unmanageable. And step two, you diagnose the solution that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. And, that, and I really had some work to do in that step. And um, I heard about this church that was like a rock concert on Sunday mornings. And I was single at the time and they said they were pretty girls and it was a way <laughs> out of the rehab. And so, right, right. so I went to this church and uh, the speaker that morning, Perry Noble, I'll, I'll be always forever grateful for him. Come um, on, and uh, he was, he had proclaimed the gospel in a way that I had never heard it preached before. Um, not even, You know, it was like the closest thing to that Baptist revival I had seen. The fact that this man named Jesus really did come and live a sinless life and die a criminal's death on the cross in absence of wrong, for my sins and that everything that I had ever done in my life was nailed to that cross. If I would just turn away from my sinful ways, not being perfect, but letting God sanctify me, turning towards that perfect savior, confessing that he's the Lord, believing um, that he is God. And it just all clicked, you know, it just Mm. all clicked. That's why, you know, it, it really takes a move of God in your heart for you to be able to say like, I don't have all the answers. Lord, help me in my unbelief, but I want to put all my faith. I want to put all my eggs in this basket. And I'm telling you, Alex, the day I did that, everything started to change. It was October of 2011. And, um, bro, I didn't even know what it was, but I instantly felt this calling to tell people about Jesus. Like I was, I like, I was a joy junkie at this point. And, (laughs) with little Bible knowledge I had from, you know, the felt Mary and Joseph's on the board, you know, the board in the basement of the church growing up. Um, I went back to this rehab man and I started opening a Bible and I had guys sit around me and, um, I'd start telling them about what Jesus is doing for me, what he has done for me. And people started believing it and they started putting their faith in Jesus. And the feeling that I got, Um, of just being used by God when I saw all these men put their faith in Jesus sparked this desire inside me to to do more for the kingdom. And so, um, you know, that really kind of takes us into, I think, our, our next question. But yeah, man, it's been it's been a wild ride. And um, You know, most people that have been through what I've been through don't live long enough to make it through it. And so the odds were stacked yeah. against me. But God has the final word, man, you know, and he did.
0: <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it is. It's so true that, you know, people who walk through situations like what you've been through, you know, don't have anyone around them to help them and they don't have the, you know, opportunities per se to be able to survive and, you know, make it out of that. Uh, and, And it's, it is a beautiful thing of seeing how God continued to pursue you so that you could come back to him at the right time when it was presented to you at New Spring. And, you know, that's something, again, you know, for us, like, it's awesome to see how God connected us because right it was through New Spring when you know my wife and I started attending that that I found out who Clayton King was right who was right. the teaching pastor at the time and then it was through you know just really feeling this desire to hey I want to share the gospel and like you said you you had this hunger and this desire to tell people about Jesus I had that and so I wasn't really sure how to do it but I could see Clayton exemplify how you do this yes. and so I was like I want to know more about that and so then through his coaching network you and I connected and man that was a blessing yeah. in itself just to be able to you know to meet and then become you know friends that continue to do yes, ministry bro. together and support each other and so yeah it's it's awesome to see God work through you know because some people would automatically disqualify themselves if they've been through what you've been through and some people would say you know well you're disqualified because there's no way that you know you you are fit to do the work that God's calling you to, but that's the beauty of the gospel, and that's the beauty of the fact that Jesus did not come for the perfect and the healthy, but rather he came for the broken and the ones who were in need, right? The ones who needed healing and help, and so now he flips the table and he says, all right, you go. You go and tell yes. people what I've done for you. And then we get to sit there and point back to Jesus and say, Hey, let me tell you what he's done in my life. And so that's, that's the beauty of you know his love for us, right? And yes. So, like you said, that kind of leads into the next part, is right, like so you shared your testimony and how God, you know, opened your eyes, God welcomed you in, and then you had this desire to be able to tell others. So yeah. I mentioned before that, you know, you have a ministry and you steward that called the Hope Project. So right. how did the Hope Project start or or first kind of explain to everybody, you know, what the Hope Project is, the mission, and then how it came about and how God led you to that. Yeah,
1: yeah man. So, um, you know, about six months into being saved, I definitely felt like, there was no way I could run from the calling I felt that God had put on my life. And um, I just instantly fell in love with the local church, like just the church in general, um, the bride of Christ, you know. And so two years, about two years from the time I got saved, I ended up being on staff um, at New Spring. And I was there for a couple years. And um, I wouldn't say... <sighs> (sighs) I wouldn't say it was a failure um, because I I don't think anything's a failure when, you know, when you're doing what, you know, God has called you to do. But it wasn't a good fit. You know, it really wasn't a good fit. And I still had a lot of healing to do. And I don't know. It just I I really feel like God is a good father who gives good gifts. And I asked him to be on staff of that, that church. And he said, okay. I don't know if you're gonna this is gonna be for you, but I'm gonna let you do it because I know you love me and that you're gonna, you know, hopefully glorify me. And so I did that and um it just I don't know, I really got the difference between working for and walking with God really mm. mixed up and and two years mm-hmm. in I was spiritually sick again, man, um, because I was working so hard for this mega church and um I really wasn't being discipled, if I'm honest. And um, you know, and that's my fault. I mean, I should I should have been going out and looking for somebody. But um, I equated doing the work that I was doing at church for my relationship with Jesus. And when you do that, you're getting it twisted, and you're going to get sick. And so I ended up having to leave that position. Then stepped on staff at a Methodist church, believe it or not, and um, I was the worship leader there and the youth pastor for a couple years. And that ended up not being a good fit. Um, ended up having some you know, differences in belief about the gospel. They really did believe that the blood of Jesus covered everyone, no matter if they believed or not. And I was just like, oh, so I ended up having to leave. I'm not going to name drop or anything, but <laughs> right. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not a universalist. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but it was like, I say those things to say, it was like one thing after another where God was like, all right, if this is what you think you want to do, do it. And by the time I left the Methodist church, um, it was blatantly, open uh blatantly like aware to me um that um as much as i love the local church that i wasn't called to the local church in a vocational sense um and that also came about there was a perfect storm and um i sometimes still wish that i was because i love being a part of the beauty of the local church and i still serve and all that stuff so you know it's it's all good but I had been doing a a small group in a local recovery center for about three years. And, um, it was amazing, Alex. I mean, every week, um, these drug addicts were, um, you know, begging Jesus to forgive them and crying. And it was just, Oh, it was such a beautiful time in my life. And,
0: um,
1: we had, a, I mean, it was crazy. Like uh, over a hundred people in three years probably said yes to Jesus. Um, And i was just so proud of the work that the lord was doing there and then there was a guy named tyler that came through and uh tyler got saved we got baptized and he got out And a few months later i had heard that tyler had overdosed and died he was 23 had a beautiful young daughter and uh that really broke me you know it broke me because i asked the lord you know what could i have done better you know, where did we as the church, as the, you know, the big C church fail him? And so my wife and I um, knew at that point, because I was back, I had my business and, you know, I was, took a step away from ministry for a while. My wife and, and I at that point knew that there needed to be something more for people who are drug addicts and alcoholics and their families. Um, and so over the next year, man, we hit our knees a lot. We cried a lot. Um, and out of, you know, they say, when you find your misery, you'll find your ministry. And I really did find my misery in watching these people that I love so much overdosing and dying and getting in car accidents. And. So that's how the HOPE Project was birthed. Um, we said there has to be a ministry, uh, a rough and tumble ministry for what we call the wild ones. You know, there are other recovery ministries, but we needed one that didn't have all the feel of the rules and the religion of the church, just straight Jesus all the time. And uh, so we started the HOPE Project and um, we are going to celebrate five years in November. let's uh, go
0: come on praise the
1: Lord Jesus has been so good to us we've seen over 600 people make a profession of faith in Jesus in five years we've seen atheists become fully devoted followers of Jesus we've seen mothers become mothers again and fathers become fathers again families reunited Um, lives saved we have a Narcan distribution program uh, where we've seen over seven physical lives saved as a result of narcan we distributed and people are always like why why would a ministry want to do a harm reduction program well i'll tell you why because from the beginning of time the church has been meeting tangible needs so in order to meet spiritual needs right and i'll I'll give you an example and this is a really cool story Um, a girl's mom called us and uh, she said hey my daughter's dying like she's got a heroin habit We need help. And so I was like, Give me your give me your phone number, I'll call her. So I called her and I said, Hey, um, you know, your mom told me you're struggling, what's going on? We talked on the phone for about forty-five minutes and she said, I like what you're having to say, but I just really don't think I'm ready. And so I said, Well, let me just get some Narcan in your hands. She said, Okay. The very next night that Narcan was used to save her life when she was overdosing, she went into a Yeah, bro, this it gets better. She went into a three month recovery program as an atheist because she told me she was an atheist. When she got out, she still felt empty, even though she was sober and she had remembered the kindness of our ministry. And she came to one of our events that following Monday put her faith in Jesus for salvation got baptized a few weeks later and is sober now and following Jesus because of that little investment we made meeting that tangible need and she remembered the kindness of our ministry Amen. and decided that hey I'm I'm maybe I'm missing something and you know this person was really kind to me and really didn't want anything in return and so I think that's why it's so important for us to do these homeless ministries where we hand out, you know, book bags and, you know, <clears throat> you know, food and stuff because yeah, yeah. they remember those tangible blessings and it opens their mm-hmm. heart, you know, to spiritual salvation. So
0: Dude, that's, that's so good. And, and I mean, there's, there's so many stories just like that and so many, you know, opportunities to meet people right where they are. Right. You're not expecting them to come to you and to, you know, go through all these things before you can help them or serve them. But you're right there in their mess. And you're like, hey, I know this is difficult. And then for someone, you know, just like yourself, you've you've experienced it. So you have something that not a lot of other people are able to bring to those who are walking through that season of life. And so that's just like, that's what amazes me. And just some of the things that I'm in awe of about, you know, what you guys do and how you're able to serve in the ways that you're serving. And so, uh, yeah, it's awesome to be able to, to hear stories like that and celebrate the victories And seeing God work and just pull people out of some of the darkest and hardest places in life um, and and seeing them born again and and given new life and new hope and a a salvation and security and joy and just everything that they were missing apart from Jesus.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's the coolest thing I've ever been able to do in my life. And if the Lord allows, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life.
0: Come on, man. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and so with that and that kind of touches, you know, on the, the focus of the Hope Project, you know, what you guys are are really focused and and dedicated on doing. Um, what are some of the, you know, in that being the focus of the hope project, like what are some of the ways that you guys serve and some of the, you know, opportunities that people in the area would have to come, you know, in and connect yeah. with the Hope project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, like I mentioned, we have a, a Narcan distribution program where, um, we are community distributors for Narcan. I'm a certified trainer to teach people about, uh, the harmful effects of opiates what they do to your body Uh, signs and symptoms of an overdose and how to treat an overdose. Um, And then we actually have a grant where we can distribute Narcan free of charge to our community. And so um, we always need volunteers to come to those to just pray for people. We always try to give people the opportunity to, I mean, they're going to hear the gospel message if we get them in the room to get some Narcan. So we do that. And then we've also got our um, every Monday night, um, we have a gathering. So every third Monday we do like a a service and super excited Alex is actually coming to preach at our next let's go uh, service (laughs) so if you're listening and you need a speaker at one of your events make sure you hit Alex up this will be I think four or five times we've had him speak at one of our events or something we've done together so super excited for that and people are excited for him to come back but so we do that and um we've got, uh, you know, just basically like a a regular worship service where, you know, we, but we do food at the beginning. We know that sometimes the way of their heart is a good meal. And so we do food and we do worship, we do a message. Um, And, but our services are a little bit different than something you'll find on Sunday morning, because we're talking about a little bit more delicate um, things. We're talking about um, you know the harmful effects of of heroin, and you know just some of the crazy stuff. You know prostitution, and I mean, you know all this stuff that they need to hear about from a biblical, uh, you know, perception uh, from a biblical standpoint. And so we do that, and then the other three uh, Mondays uh, each month we do uh, community support groups um, where we we do teach them about recovery and and how all that works. Um, and then we are also working on a, a homeless ministry where we're going to be serving homeless people in downtown Charleston, because I'm just like, man, I see churches doing it so well. But I'm like, if I can get a bunch of former addicts to go down to, you know, the heroin infested streets of Charleston, man, we could connect with them on a level that would just be amazing. So but we're always in need of volunteers. Yeah. and. Um, you know, we we need resources for, it. and so, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what's next. But you know, we're we call mm-hmm. ourselves a project because that's just what we are. We have one mission to share the gospel with uh, the hurting and hopeless people in and out of jail and their families, and so that constantly changes, you know. And um, yeah, so so we try not to pin ourselves down to one thing, except for the Monday night thing, because we want stability for the people in our community, but you know, we, yeah, we yeah. do whatever, we try to serve whatever need we can, you know, we see in our community.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so good, man. And, you know, uh, Spartanburg is, yeah, I don't know, maybe half of the population size, I would imagine, um, you know, of Charleston, maybe not even mm-hmm. at, at half. I mean, Spartanburg is nowhere near a Charleston size of of populace, but um, there's a, a big, need for homeless ministries here in town. And that's something very recently that we've been introduced to and been able to make connections with, with other ministries that are serving those, um, with that particular need right now that need food and need, you know, your, your supplies for hygiene and things of that nature. Um, and so, yeah, so I can, I can imagine the opportunity there and just the, the, the vast, Need for people to step in and do something uh, there in Charleston. And so that that's awesome that you guys are considering that and trying to figure that, you know, that step out. So I'm sure you've probably got connections there that may already do that in some some way, shape, form or fashion. But if you would want to maybe talk to somebody who's been doing that for a little while. I can get you connected with some that are around here, you know, do like weekly meetups and, you know, and they have a spot dedicated. They'll go and they'll meet same time every week, you know, serve food, serve supplies, things like that. That's awesome. Um, So, yeah, but that, that's, that's, such a a great thing that you guys are trying to step into but definitely is a lot of responsibility too and a lot that goes into that you know it's not just necessarily a one time thing but those are you know opportunities that can be recurring as well yeah definitely so you know with that and with the you know focus of what you guys are doing and kind of some of the forward thinking there, what would you say in the time that that the Hope Project's been going and and maybe even your time um, on staff at a couple of churches? What would you say is the one thing or one of the things that you just enjoy so much about ministry?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the thing that I enjoy most and uh, is. Like watching someone genuinely going from like depressed, um, anxious, um, you know, suicidal, bulimic, addicted to like being sanctified and being brought to life by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, um, I know many people would say that, but I genuinely love the underdog story. You know, um, you know, because people came for the people that needed a second chance. And and then I think watching people that get saved from much love much. Right. They turn around and they serve so hard and like they will storm hell with a water pistol with you because they are (laughs) so on fire. And so um, just genuinely and it increases my faith, you know, when I watch somebody who was just so incredibly lost. Now they are, you know, walking with Jesus and telling people about his goodness. I mean, that to me, that's the reason I continue in ministry is because and I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's what ministry is about. It's about seeing people being brought to life in Christ and advancing the kingdom. And so um, oh but for God. me, that truly never gets old. You know, like it warms my heart every time I see somebody, especially somebody that's been sober. We just had a girl that came to our ministry um, four years ago, actually this week, and she was totally addicted to alcohol and she started coming a few weeks, she would come drinking and then we'd always smell the alcohol on her, would never mention anything. And then after one of our messages, one time she broke down and just weeped. And we all gathered around her and we laid our hands on her and just prayed for God to heal her. Well, she went to a detox that very next day and she's been a part of our ministry for the last four years. And she has celebrated four years of sobriety after spending go, man. 15, 20 years as an alcoholic like that to me right there. Just that one story keeps me going, you yeah. know, and knowing that there are more of those people that are coming in the door
0: every week. Come on, man. Yeah, no, that's so so good. So, on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most difficult aspects and parts of ministry?
1: Yeah. So I'll give one for ministry, and then my ministry, because I'm not—I'm any better. I'm just different. (laughs) He's different. So. um, So. I think one of the hardest parts of ministry is, um, you know, when people when people are sick, they need a doctor. Like when people are spiritually sick, they go find a church. And so I think, like I love people. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, like especially when you work for a church and you know, there's somebody that comes in that's just like emotionally unwell or, you know, has some mental faculties that aren't there. I think having to deal with someone that's continually trying to tear you down and belittle you and disrespect you. And you know what I'm talking about when you get somebody that comes in the ministry like that. And it's like, All right, God, I, I, I know I need to love them, but I also know that I'm not a doormat. How do I handle this? And so managing that tension of like, how much do I let people walk on me and belittle me and hurt me when I know hurt people, hurt people, but also I'm not a doormat. So that, that's one thing that's been hard for me in ministry over the years. And, you know, it's not every day, but I think another thing is, um, people who try to you know kind of tear you down and and, in another way like it's I feel like it's always somebody that's not really doing anything that wants to tear down somebody that's doing something you know what I mean like um and there's like this jealousy aspect and it's like dude I've made more enemies and I've never had enemies in my life in the last five years that I've been in ministry than I've ever had in my entire life and it's like all I'm doing is trying to tell people about the goodness of Jesus, oh you know, and and like people will tear you down when they see, you know, your numbers going up at, at your yeah. gatherings and, you know, people getting saved and people getting changed. And you'll always have a person come, you know, um, that sees how great things are and how good God is moving. And then they go and they tell everybody else about how you're a horrible person. <laughs> it's like uh, I think deal with that. Like, I love working with people and i think it's a dance you know you gotta it's kind of a give and take with people like that but you know it's really hard i think some of the biggest spiritual battles we face in ministry are christians or non-christians and christians can be used by the devil or non christians um, that are being used to like tear you down Mm -hmm. um and so
0: yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of that comes from, especially whether whether it's a, a Christian or a non-Christian that's doing the attacking in a lot of those cases, I think it's, you know, birthed from a place of jealousy yes. and, you know, a place of uh, where, you know, they're sort of like coveting what they see God doing in your life yeah. and how he's working through the ministry and the work that, that he's called you right. to and you know they're they're either jealous or maybe it's not so much jealousy maybe it's a thing where they they look kind of introspectively and they're like how come i'm not doing that and so instead of you know like trying to work that out themselves they then lash out at you or at someone else trying to pull them down to make themselves try to feel better but yeah it's so you and i
1: You and I both know that to be true, because if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, you've experienced those feelings. Like, I I know I have. Maybe I can't speak for you, but I have experienced the jealousy for,
0: you know, guys that
1: are farther along than me and, (laughs) you know, the coveting. And but, you know, God taught me a few years back, you know, because one of my best friends, I I used to have to confess that to him. I was like, (laughs) I'm jealous of you. Like, I want to hate you. No, I I didn't want to hate him. But, you know, um, but God just said God started pounding in my heart. A win anywhere is a win everywhere. Hey,
0: come on, man. You know, and if
1: we are kingdom advancement people, um, I'm going to be proud to call you friend and cheer you on from the sidelines because. God designed me to do one thing and you to do another and we're both parts yeah. of the body right I I can't be a head and a foot you know I got to be something you know <laughs> yep. so
0: yeah <laughs> and that's yeah man I mean the the jealousy thing is 100% legit and will come up out of nowhere Um, there's been moments and times where, you know, I felt like really good about what God's called us to do and, you know, maybe something that God has allowed us to be able to experience and a kind of a win in ministry. And then I look at someone else, like you said, a really good friend or someone else that I, you know, kind of look up to and I see them doing something that I feel like is tenfold of what we just did. And now all of a sudden, now, instead of being... Excited and having this, you know, like high of what God has allowed us to do. Now it's like, man, how come I'm not doing that? How come we're not that far along? You know, how come we aren't seeing tenfold of these, you know, things happening? And where's all of our opportunities? And so that jealousy will hit you in a heartbeat. But you know, and something circling back to the coaching network and Clayton King, something he said in, in one of our sessions together was, you know, to um, defeat jealousy with celebrating others and celebrating their wins and their victories. And, things. and And that's something that's always stuck with me. And so, like, when I when I feel this sort of sense of, man, I wish that was me or, man, I wish I was doing that, I try to intentionally. And either vocally or, you know, whether that's through social media or a text or a call, like try yes. to celebrate what God is doing through them. And then it, it really and truly does sort of. It's like Changes a wave that just knocks out the, the jealous emotion yes. that I've had. And now I'm filled with with contentment right. and, and, you know, right. I'm, I'm happy and I'm excited for what right. God's doing in them.
1: Yeah, because now you're partnered with them and the great work they're doing. You're not an right. adversary. Yeah. You've partnered with them and you said it. Not competing against Right. Right. Oh, man. If you're listening right now and you're in ministry, I hope that blesses you because I wish I would have heard that about 10 years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's something that everybody, I think, <clears throat> even if you look at some of the the biggest ministries right that do what we do or the biggest churches in the country around the world right even i think pastors in some of those larger top level ministries and organizations like they even get a sense and have a sense of jealousy at times when they see other people oh, you yeah. know doing things and so if If we try to lie about it and like, no, I'm not jealous, then I think we're just fooling ourselves and, you know, fooling everybody else and making it more difficult on everybody else. Because I think it helps to show to be vulnerable in that and to show that sense of humility of, yeah, I still get jealous when I see some people doing things, but this is how I fight it. This is how I overcome it. And then I, you know, celebrate and and praise what God's doing in, in them. Um, yeah. and so I think it helps for other people to hear that and be like, oh, that's not just me. Whew, thank yeah. you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, cause yes. then you start to feel a relief. Yeah. You start to feel a sense of guilt, right. Of why am right. I feeling, you know, jealous? Why, why is this? How come I can't just flat out be happy for right. them? Um, <laughs> so, and so it's, it's great to know that, you know, other people are dealing with that too, but yeah. Uh, you know, in, in sort of kind of wrapping up here and, and coming to a close. So we've talked about, you know, your your testimony and what God's done in your life to the point of leading you to salvation and then calling you into ministry and that journey through there. But you also do some other stuff outside of, say, your, you know, um, dedicated ministry. So share a little bit about that and what it's like being bivocational Right. Yeah. Where you're not just fully, you know, 100% full time in only ministry, but you also have right. another full time job that you, you know, give yeah. and, and serve in.
1: Yeah. So I think the tension there is staying fo- focused and saying, staying motivated on both the ministry. And, you know, got, I run a small business. So it's, they're two very full time jobs. Um, and, you know, the, the solace and the motivation and the focus that I have found has literally just come from um, putting Jesus first and everything. Like oh. when I wake up in the morning, bro, like I, whether I want to or not, like, I know I need that time with God. Like I need to get my day in order. I'm going to spend some time in the word. I'm going to soak up his word. And, you know, it's, I say put God first, but like, don't just say you put God first, like put God first, you know, make him the first part of your day and the last part of your day, knows, especially yeah. if you're, if you're having trouble staying focused and motivated, like, you know, Paul was a tent maker and he wrote most of the New Testament. So if he can be, <laughs> if he can do that, I think I can stay bivocational with, with my little ministry and, and, uh, and my small business. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I I would, that would be my guidance for anybody listening that is having trouble. If you're like not staying focused and not staying motivated, just pack your day (laughs) with worship music, pack your day, like start your day off with Jesus, spend some time with him. Doesn't have to be an hour, but spend 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then a night before you go to bed and spend your day just soaking in him. You know, in everything you do. And because I'll tell you what, you know, you and I both know, Alex, that it does get really hard at some point, um, you know, to to try to run both. And, you know, as far as the ministry goes, um, I learned a long time ago um, that I can't do everything that I have to trust other mm. people to do other things, because yes. uh, for me, it was like, this is my baby. You know, I, I want to <laughs> yeah. make sure, you know, everything's done right. But yep. I found some really great leadership that I can trust to do things. I don't necessarily have to be there every Monday night now for our, our small group, because I've got a leader that does that. I try to be, but sometimes it work over, so it's not dependent on me. You know, I'm, mm. I, I'm there on the third Monday, and I make sure that happens. But, you know, I miss a Monday every now and again, and that's a okay because you know the, the the ministry doesn't rise and fall on me on, and man. so taking yeah. some of that focus off of um you know what i can do and putting more focus on what god can do through a bunch of us so that's what Dude, i that's say.
0: that that's so good and you know such a such a, a great takeaway for like you said starting and ending your day with Jesus and, and just being yeah. able to dedicate that time. And, and I mean, I would even say if it if it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, whatever that is, to be able to maybe open up your Bible, read five verses and say a prayer. But yeah. being able to start your day off that way and then throughout your day, just think about, you know, God and think about maybe what you read that morning and or, you know, just say thank you, God, for certain things that have happened yeah, today or great. in your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of just this constant meditating and constant communication. Um, yes. I think that's that's super, super key to be able to stay motivated in those areas of ministry and also a, a more secular job or vocation that you may have, because that's also right. another opportunity for serving. That's another opportunity to be able to minister to people through a totally different channel right. and avenue than what people would expect walking into a ministry. And so exactly. it's, it's beautiful to be able to do that. And, you know, it's something a lot of people wrestle with. And so I think it's great to be able to hear firsthand from people who have, you know, dealt with that and who are walking through that and maybe even struggled with it themselves about, you know, some people have a guilt or a shame. They feel this weight of, do I do, you know, ministry and work another job? Is that, does that mean I'm not depending on God? Uh, You know, and they, they wrestle back and forth with this. And so it's just great to be able for people to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Chad, for yeah, the conversation and just being able to kind of open up a little bit about your background and then also the Hope Project and introducing this to anybody who's listening. And if you are in the Charleston area, I can assure you and and encourage you that go to one of their uh Buy or like monthly gatherings where it's the big service yeah. for sure. Check it out if you know if you want something that's that's maybe a little bit less focused on you. I know small groups can be kind of kind of difficult and intimidating yeah. at times, but go get plugged in, just meet these people that are there serving the team and yes, just let them show Jesus to you and you will yeah. be blessed by going and being a part of it. And if you're looking, if you're in the area and you're looking for a way to serve. This is a ministry to get plugged into because there's such a great need and such a wonderful opportunity to be Jesus to others through the Hope Project. So if you're listening and you're in the area, do yourself a favor and go check it out. Awesome. Thank you so
1: much for having me, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely, dude. I, I'm so excited. As you mentioned, I am excited and looking forward to being there in in another week and getting to hang out and, and just being able to to worship and praise together. But for someone for someone who's listening and they want to find out more about the Hope Project, what's the you know a website they can go to and what social yeah. media are you currently yeah. on?
1: Yeah. So they can go to our website. It's www.thehopeproject.cc or they can find us on Instagram or Facebook at um, thehopeproject.cc. And if they would like to connect with me, I am at chadlogan.cc on Instagram. So let's go. Or you can connect me on Facebook. Chad Logan.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, (laughs) thanks again, Chad. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Always love you, man. And really thankful for everything that God's doing in your life and through the Hope Project. Uh, for everybody who's listened, thank you so much for hanging out and spending the time with us. We hope and pray that this has been a blessing and maybe an encouragement to you and gives you an opportunity to, to get invested if that's something you feel God's calling you to. So I, I certainly think that would be awesome and a great idea for you. But I hope you have a great week and we will catch you again next time. God bless.